Hello and welcome to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. Today, Bryce will be talking with Brian Janis, Worldwide Director of Energy for Microsoft. They'll cover Microsoft's work in the energy space, from clean energy initiatives to storage to energy equity and more. We hope you enjoy the show. Take it away, Bryce. Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker. With us, we have the privilege of being joined by one of my very longtime contacts uh, and friends. He is uh, up north of uh, me just a bit here in the Seattle area. Uh, Brian Janis is the Worldwide Director of Energy um, with Microsoft. Brian, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bryce. So, Brian, I know you have a long history at the that small tech company up there, but maybe you can give me a bit of a background on your role to what led you into the current position and kind of who, who are you? Yeah, happy to do that. Um, it's funny, when I when I actually started this role at Microsoft uh, nearly 10 years ago, it was sort of a small role uh, within a very big company, um, but so, so small, really, that I, um, I was challenging the uh, person that was recruiting me. And I told him, I, I really think that being the energy person at a tech company sounds like a dead-end job. I don't even know what I would do um, or why a company like Microsoft would need someone like me. Uh, so it's been, it's been quite a journey over the last decade as uh, obviously the cloud has grown. And of course, the centrality of energy and sustainability and how we think about cloud infrastructure has changed dramatically. Uh, and so it's really been a, a fun journey for me to get to see the, the types of things that, that I get to do every day. Uh, actually get elevated inside of the company to become pretty core uh, to who we are as a company. Yeah, great. Yeah, we connected in previous iterations to Grid Forward, and it's great to see the evolution of Microsoft there. We'll get we'll get into that in our conversation today. Uh, I always start since we launched our podcast in the pandemic. Um, you know, today is Thursday, September sixteenth. We're a year and a half into this wild ride. H- how are you personally? How are the folks on your team and the organization there uh, doing? I mean, it's been as, as challenging for us, I think, as, as anyone is having to be uh, distant. You know, I haven't seen most of my team in more than a year and a half. Uh, and we've grown a lot during this time, too. So, in fact, we've hired half the team during that time. So there's a lot of people who have joined the team that have never met anyone on the team. Uh, and so we've had to deal with all the same challenges that everyone has. Um, but at the same time, it's been one of our more productive years that we've ever had as a team as well. Um, the necessity of the cloud has continued to grow uh, through the pandemic. And so, you know, our growth has, has continued. Uh, we've learned to, to work in different ways, uh, learned about, you know, how to stay connected, uh, how to relate to one another, you know, when, when you can't be face to face. And so we've had to learn a lot of new ways of working. Um, I personally had to learn a lot of, you know, new, new behaviors and, um, you know, how do I manage my time with you know, family being around all the time and, um, so it's been a, it's been a different thing for I think for all of us, but um, on the whole, I feel like we have been able to adapt uh, and continue to move forward with some of our core priorities. Congrats on that, and thanks for being a part of the the solution teams, as I'm sure has just exploded there. Let's dive in. What has the history looked like for Microsoft with regards to using clean energy itself, powering your operations with renewables? Can you give us maybe a bit of a of a history lesson on what you all have been doing and learning over the last, say, decade? Yeah, I, I think it's been a, a sort of a constant state of evolution and growth and learning um, and, and really envisioning what our potential is. Uh, I, I think back to some of the first commitments we made in 2012 to be carbon neutral. 
where you know we're like, wow, we could actually offset 100% of our emissions by purchasing renewable energy credits and, and carbon offsets. And at that time, we thought well, that's kind of a big deal. Um, and at the same time, we instituted an internal carbon tax to uh, charge all the business groups inside of Microsoft with the cost of of doing that. And then you know a few years go by, and we go, well, we could actually do more than that, right? We could actually go out and contract for for our own renewable energy, and we can have projects you know tailor made and built just for us and for our needs. And then we thought, well, we, we could do that and we could go faster. And then we thought, well, we could do that and we could also add our supply chain in um, and we could, you know, pressure our supply chain to do the same thing. And we could go beyond just being, you know, carbon neutral to carbon negative and, and, and we could address our entire emissions, you know, throughout the history of the company. Um, and then we thought, well, we can actually do this on 100% of the time, you know, in every grid where we operate. And so each successive step has just been more about, I think, envisioning what, what our potential is and how we can actually um, not only address our own emissions, but how do we start to influence markets and other companies and uh, customers and our suppliers to change their behavior as well. And so it's just been, a, a, I think, a successive chain of really reimagining what is the art of the possible in the space for, for corporations that are really serious about doing something about climate change. Yeah, great. And that last step I want to talk about here in just a minute, but maybe one more level setting question. You and the other tech majors uh, seem to be somewhat in a competition continually. <laughs> and maybe the planet benefits uh, with that uh, competitive streak for kind of everybody um, kind of one-upping each other on, on their green credentials. Um, how can uh, a major tech company or, or really major corporations in general bring those lessons and bring those opportunities more to the masses, more to the to the wider uh, business community, and maybe even out beyond that. Yeah, and I, I think the, the first step for us has been that I think very friendly competition that we all have amongst one another to to push everyone, uh, push each other harder. I remember having that conversation uh, when we were planning for one of our big announcements. Someone said, you know, spoke up and said, "Well, you know, if we announce X, then in six months someone else is going to announce X plus something." And you know, the executive turned to this person and said. Well, yeah, but then we would have won, right? Like if we, <laughs> not only did we commit our company to do X, we forced another company to have to do more than X, right? And so, you know, the climate wins if, if we're all pushing each other to have to do more each time. But, you know, when I look at it, I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, and, and the cloud is obviously a, a big part of the solution because we're, we're very large energy consumers. But altogether, data centers only consume about one to 2% of the world's electricity. Uh, and so, you know, if we if we all solve the problem for ourselves, we really haven't done that much in terms of what we're really trying to accomplish, which is just decarbonizing the, the energy systems entirely. Right. And so if we're not doing things that are creating roadmaps and platforms for others to get on board, then we're not doing enough. And that's the real challenge that I have for my team to say, look, I don't want to hear anything about us building a tailor-made solution that that can just solve our own problems. I want to talk about how we're building platforms and roadmaps and we're helping to commercialize opportunities for others because the the impact that Microsoft can have, say, through its partner network and to its customers is far bigger in terms of, you know, overall emissions that we can touch and impact than our own footprint. And so that's the real opportunity for us is how do we create things that are that are truly scalable uh, for instance, we, we did this deal with Vattenfall recently to create a 24-7 platform uh, in Sweden. And the whole idea behind that was to say, well, why wouldn't we work with a utility to build a platform 
that then they could offer to other customers. And other customers are now signing up for the same service from Vattenfall. And to me, that's a much bigger win than Microsoft just solving something for its own load. Yeah, perfect. Well, so you walked through very briefly a number of the key milestones over the years in the in the clean energy uh, story there. Um, there has been, uh, you know, a pretty significant step recently um, with the announcement about the, the company being powered by 100% clean energy, 100% of the time, I believe by 2030. Um, how is that different than other commitments? What does that mean for the day-to-day, uh, you know, roles and responsibilities of your group? And, you know, what's significant about that? Well, it's it's a huge challenge for sure. And because in part, we don't know how we're going to get there. Um, and that's actually been true of a lot of commitments we've made over the last few years is that, you know, we knew it was ambitious. Uh, we, we knew it was possible, but we didn't quite know exactly how we were going to do it. And so it is a big challenge on the team. And I've spent a lot of time with my team over the last couple of months since we made that announcement, uh, almost in the therapy sessions saying, hey, you know, we're going to figure this out. Guys. Like, we're going to be able to do this. I think the real heart behind that and what we're really trying to accomplish with that, again, it's not so much about, hey, can, can an individual customer solve for you know, 100% zero carbon energy 100% of the time, but rather, again, how do we build a roadmap for others to follow? How do we push utilities and grid operators to start offering solutions to not just Microsoft, but other customers that help to really achieve that vision of complete grid decarbonization? Because if you can do it for one load, you can do it for a thousand loads, you can do it for the entire grid. And since that time, our utilities and grid operators and partners in the industry have been coming out of the woodwork to say, hey, we want to work with you on this. We have an idea. You know, we think we can help you solve this. And in fact, someone asked me the other day, like, you know, do you think this is something Microsoft's going to do on its own? Or do you think your utilities are going to do this for you? And it's like, I hope it's the latter. Like, I hope that by 2030, we're not having to do anything because utilities all over the world are coming to us saying, hey, we have this. We've we built this solution. We can give you exactly what you're asking for. Like that to me would be a huge victory that, you know, by the end of this, we're not even doing anything. We're just taking what others are offering us because, you know, they've seen the demand from the customers and they've gone out and solved it for us. Because this this has to happen at the grid level. It can't be solved by individual customers going and figuring out all this complex stuff on their own. It's, it's got to be done at a much, much larger scale. Maybe we can dive in a little bit to the tech you have to put a lot of storage next to wind and solar to get to that out. What sort of maybe early lessons or early solutions do you see some promise um, in with regards to this this commitment? What we're trying to do is really look at it in, in, at the grid level to say, okay, what are what are all the things that we actually need for the grid to be able to achieve complete decarbonization? And you're, you're absolutely right. Storage is a big piece of it. But transmission is also a big piece of it. Load optimization is a big piece of it. You know, how, how do we as a, as a large consumer actually go out and provide incentives for other customers to curtail their loads during certain periods, right? Like maybe that's a a product that we can actually start procuring. Um, And so there's gonna be a lot of things that come to the table that we're gonna have to use that go beyond just storage, though that we do expect that'll be a big piece of it. Um, And then of course, it's not just, you know, we're looking beyond just sort of the storage we have available today uh, to say, four to six hours of lithium ion, but we need longer duration storage too. We have to look at this seasonally as well. It's not just a, a daily problem. It's a weekly, a monthly and seasonal problem. So there's a lot of things from a technology standpoint, from a 
market design standpoint, and of course, from a policy standpoint, they're all going to have to come together to make this happen. Yep. And data centers need to run when they run and you need to crunch that data on the cloud when it's there. So obviously it's a portfolio of solutions. Can you talk maybe a little bit about maybe some of the deeper aspects of it? How do you monitor and how do you meter this in real time? What what sort of capabilities, real-time analytics, are you going to need to get that solution into a reality? Yeah, and that's a, that's a big gap today. As we look across the globe, I mean, we're, we operate in over 40 different countries. So, you know, in, in some grids, we look at, and there's a lot of data and it's very sophisticated and um, we can get access to, you know, things like marginal emissions. And there's other markets where we're not even close. And so we really look at the data problem as the first step. How do we even get to know what's happening on the grid in every individual hour? But I, I look at that as, as such a foundational building block to solving the problem. Because if you don't know what's happening, how do you know what that next investment needs to be? Um, and and one, one sort of application of this is the work we've done with Resurity on this concept of locational marginal emissions to understand like it, it very much matters, not just when renewable energy pr- is produced, but where. You know, where on the grid are the highest levels of marginal emissions such that as you think about when you cite that next wind project or that next solar project, are you actually materially reducing emissions or not? And to what degree? And that's a really important question. And so the intelligence around, and this is something I think you're very familiar with in the work that, that you, you do, but that intelligence around really understanding how the grid is actually operating, what is happening at, at each node on that grid, and how then can we start to really point optimize so that we can accelerate towards decarbonization, decarbonized future as quickly as possible. I want to ask you about the perspective that you have and Microsoft has around supporting innovation more broadly on the electric grid. What's the role that Microsoft plays to try to drive innovation forward on the energy grid more broadly? Yeah, there's a, a few things. So um, first of all, you know, we, as I said before, I mean, we're a huge consumer of energy. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of distributed energy assets at our data centers. We have a lot of energy storage in the form of UPS. Um, so the data center itself is a microcosm of the grid. And so there's opportunities for us to optimize the physical infrastructure. Uh, we've done this through things like uh, grid interactive UPS, where we take a UPS you know, spare capacity on the UPS batteries in the data center, and we actually use them to provide ancillary services to the grid. So there's things like that we can do. Um, we, of course, are investors through our climate innovation fund. So we have a billion dollar fund uh, that invests uh, in a number of different uh, climate related companies. Um, but uh, energy is a huge part of that because it's just such a huge part of our, our footprint. And so you know, we can use our own direct capital to help accelerate innovation. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're a huge software company and we're providing cloud services to a lot of utilities and grid operators. And so you know, we're able to help assist with the acceleration towards decarbonization by building platforms and solutions that enable companies, as we were talking about earlier, to better understand what's happening on their systems. So we've been doing that for a number of years. And I really see that probably as probably the single big, biggest thing we can do, uh, because you know that, I think, of all the things we do, has the broadest reach and the broadest impact uh, across the entire grid. And maybe on a related topic, I, I read Gates's book earlier this year, and you know each section goes through the green premium for various uh, sectors as the economy decarbonizes. You know what sort of 
areas excite you where Microsoft may be able to bring its its heft and its its uh, intellectual capabilities to narrow that green premium or to deploy some of those um, you know earlier stage uh, solutions. I think as a as a consumer, probably the biggest thing we can do is in the storage space. Um, again, because every every megawatt of capacity we have in our system, every megawatt of servers has a megawatt of batteries associated with it. Um, and you know, we also have need, high needs for reliability. So um, battery energy storage becomes really important because as we transition away from diesel fuel, which we have a commitment to do by 2030, uh, I really see batteries as becoming increasingly important as a standby system in data center operations. Uh, and so that's probably, if I, if I look at just broad classes of tech, I'd say that's probably the one, at least operationally, that I'm most excited about and one where I think we can help to accelerate uh, technological development, accelerate commercial deployment of these different technologies. Uh, maybe we can take a step back. What I'm spending most of my time on these days is federal policy. So the Biden administration is trying to get to an 80% decarbonized grid by 2035. So not, not far after uh, what you all are, are running towards, uh, fully decarbonized shortly after that. How important are the federal levers for moving towards these significant um, objectives and, and what role do, you know, the large corporations play in that, in that realm? I I think it's critically important. I I just, I don't see how we get there without federal support, um, you know, in in some form or another. Uh, I take something like transmission, like long distance, high voltage transmission. Um, You know, we've been looking at this for a number of years. Um, You know, we, we certainly have awareness of all the, you know, quote, sort of shovel-ready high-voltage projects across the country. And I'm fully convinced that it's just not going to happen based on commercial demand alone. Like, you're going to have to have the right sort of backstop authority, the right sort of support at the federal level, um, similar to how we did with the the interstate highway system. That would have never got built just because some trucking company said, hey, I could get stuff across the country a lot faster and I'm going to pay for someone to build a highway, right? That's not that's not how that happened. That's not how projects like that happen. So we absolutely need uh, the federal government involved uh, to make those kind of things a, re- a reality. And, and those are essential. Like, we won't get there without, as much as we need the small stuff to happen too, you know, things deployed at the edge, microgrids, you know, distributed solar, those are those are critically important as well to having a robust and resilient uh, electricity grid. Um, but we need the big stuff too. Uh, and, and frankly, we need probably need federal involvement for both. Uh, we, need to, we need regulations to evolve uh, in such a way that supports um, the, the right sort of solutions and, and getting there as quickly as possible. Yeah. So uh, taking a step down from the federal level more to the local level, as you know, so much of the decisions from an energy standpoint are are really caught in that um, regulator and grid operator standpoint, you know, with the state PUC or whatever its acronym is locally. How do you see the opportunity for deep decarbonization, energy innovation, and just kind of breaking the log jam, or at least the slow slog that it really has been in so many jurisdictions um, where you all operate? It is going to require pressure from corporations. And I think we do play a pretty important role in terms of being a voice for you know what it is we want to see in terms of how how regulations need to evolve, um, you know we had a there was a big win in, in Illinois this week 
uh, with some some really uh, positive legislation. I think it's moving us in the right direction. And I think it's been exciting to see really over the last three or four years, a pretty market shift in the role and the, the sort of the vocal role that corporations are willing to play in this space. Uh, because if you go back before then, you know, th- there were certainly companies that were talking about these issues, but they weren't, they weren't top line issues for a lot of companies. They weren't things that you were hearing some of their top executives talk about um, and really make as sort of top level issues for these companies. But that's really changed. I mean, with the business roundtable and other groups that have really come out and say, Hey, the, the role of the corporation is something more than just uh, maximizing value for stake, stakeholders or stockholders. Right. I mean, it's, it's really about what sort of values do we have as a company? What are the things that are important to us? And what are the things we're actually going to use our voice and our policy muscle uh, to actually get behind? So I know this topic interfaces at the state regulatory level, but but also at the federal level as well. Um, investing capital in the cloud by grid operators is something that has a little bit of friction as far as you know recovery and capitalization and these sorts of topics. Um, why is it so critical that operators are able to invest in uh, maybe not just the cloud, but the, the the best solutions that are out there, no matter you know kind of how they capitalize um, uh, in the balance sheet of their organization? Yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a problem that's existed you know as long as we've had a utility industry, right? Is like how do you how do you design incentives in the right way to ensure that the right sort of investments are being made that are really driving the best solution for the customer. Um, and there's no doubt the cloud brings a tremendous amount of efficiency to utility operations, but we need them to go even beyond that to really think about, you know, how do they invest in efficiency in general? How do they really work towards a grid that is you know, more distributed, that is more flexible, that is more resilient? Um, and it may require different ways of thinking about how utilities are compensated. Um, because the answer of just build more stuff all the time and build bigger stuff all the time may not get us to where we want to go. And so it's important to think about where are we, where are we trying, what are we trying to get to in terms of what a truly decarbonized grid looks like? And then what are the sort of regulations and market models and wholesale market models, how we actually design how wholesale markets even work? What are the changes that need to occur to ensure that we set ourselves up for success in that space? the frequency and magnitude and impact of the disturbances, you know, kind of hurts one's head when you, when you wrap your head around everything that's happening, you know, what's your take on the role that decarbonized grid and more innovative solutions really play to address the sort of implications that these are having? You know, when we look at our own infrastructure and and cloud data centers are critical infrastructure, they're, they're part of providing, um, you know, the, the backbone for, things like emergency response services and hospitals and things that they're absolutely critical during emergencies. And so when we look at this particular issue, um, you know, we, we kind of look at our infrastructure as, as needing to be both resilient and sustainable. And then, how, so then how do we create a cloud and cloud infrastructure that meets both of those goals? Because there's no trade-off really. We, we have to do both. And so when we get to something like, how do we keep the cloud operating through a you know, multi-day outage? without diesel generators? That's a really important question that we're trying to wrestle with, like, or without diesel fuel, at least. Um, so I think it's the same questions that utilities are having to ask. And we've just you know, had to live through, again, another 
catastrophe in uh, in South Louisiana, and um, just continues to reiterate that like we really have to think take this resilience thing really important. Uh, I mean, it's got to be a top level issue, so we can't sacrifice resilience for sustainability. It has to be both, and so keeping those two things, holding those two things together, as we think, how do we solve this problem is, is critically important. Maybe next we can touch on equity briefly. You know, there's discussion all around this industry. Our society obviously sparked so much by events last year. But I think the question I'd ask to you is, is how do you see progress in a more highly functional decarbonized energy system bringing benefit to the people and communities that really need to see that benefit the most? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, it's been... A real top of mind issue for us over the last few years as we think about how do we use our influence and our role in the marketplace to really drive the sort of behavior that we want to see. Uh, and so, you know, we've, I mean, I'm excited about some of the stuff we've done most recently with uh, Volt Energy, um, a 250 megawatt deal. Um, it's really focused on how do you invest in marginalized communities? You know, how do you ensure those dollars are actually going to the places we want them to go to. And I think just like we were talking before about the 100-100-0 stuff and how do we influence utilities, I think this environmental justice issue is much the same way. It's going to take customers standing up and saying, actually, we actually care about this. And this is important for how we procure uh, energy. And so I've seen the same thing where we now have utilities coming to us and I'm meeting with a giant utility next week on this very topic because you know, we've come out and said, hey, this is important. And they've stood up and said, hey, it's important to us too. Let's talk about how we can work together on this. And so I think it's it's really going to become an issue where, you know, as long as customers are standing up and saying, hey, this is important and we're, we, we're going, it's going to influence our behavior. Uh, that's kind of, that's the stuff that catalyzes change in this industry. Most of the organizations I talk to uh look at Envy with the big tech companies because they just don't feel like they're capable of, of bringing in talent like you all are able to. Maybe you can uh, debate that with me here, but what would your general thought be about how we bring forward you know, the diversified next generation set of workforce that's going to be required to transform energy and tech and everything that's in flight right now? Yeah, I think this is a huge issue. One's actually really close to my heart because I do look at the, look across the industry and think, Okay, we've done a lot in the last decade. That's exciting. But then I look at the next decade and go, oh my gosh, there's a lot more that we have to do. And the problems we have to solve over the next decade are a lot harder than the ones we had to solve <laughs> over the decade before. Not to say that it was easy and not to say there wasn't a lot of work that went in, but you know, we were just getting started, I think, in a lot of ways when you think about even something as simple as like renewable penetration over the last decade. Huge, huge gains. But but renewables, you know, wind and solar are now what ten percent, only ten percent of the uh, electric grid uh, in the United States. It's like, okay, well, we got a long way to go. We have a lot that we have to do, um, and the, the um, level of innovation it's going to take uh, is just going to get more challenging. So, the ability to grow talent, you know, um, really invest in uh, students uh, so that we're graduating people into this industry that can be the ones that are going to carry this torch on and really going to go solve some of the hardest problems are really important. So we have a lot of work going on with different universities. Personally, I'm involved in programs at, at universities to support the development of, of the type of students that we need. And it's it's really a multidisciplinary problem because you need people that understand engineering, you need people to understand business and economics and policy. And so, you know, how do you get people out that 
really can hit the ground running into the space. It's a super important challenge. And so um, that's an area that I actually spend you know, a fair amount of time on because uh, one, I mean, I've got to hire a lot of folks uh, into this space and I want to make sure that we have great talent. Um, but at the same time, I just see it as critical to the success of the industry as a whole. Absolutely. So we're at our time. Uh, let's cover our last topic here. Um, so how hopeful are you about the pace of change that the energy transition uh, is seeing and that the acceleration uh, that's happening out there? Um, how overall, how hopeful are you that we can meet the need that we can that we can uh, make it across the finish line successfully? And what sort of role do you see Microsoft playing to get there? I mean, well, first of all, I'm I'm very hopeful. Um, I, I really feel like we have a tailwind um, just with what we've been able to accomplish as an industry over the last decade, and I think we've seen what's we've seen the art of the possible. Um, and now it's really about how do we, as I was kind of kicking off as we were starting, you know, how do we continue to envision the opportunities and the role that we all can play in helping to accelerate this transition? So I'm, I'm very optimistic. And I think I, I'm particularly optimistic about the role of, of large corporations because, you know, for better or worse, and I'd say probably mostly for, for worse, you know, we've ceded a tremendous amount of influence to uh, large corporations in this in this country and, and globally, um, you know, we, we have ceded a tremendous amount of market capitalization, a tremendous amount of uh, political influence. And, and what's encouraging is, you know, there really is a trend towards corporations saying, hey, we actually have to be responsible with this power that we've been given. Um, in fact, uh, Brad Smith, our, our president, uh, chief legal counsel, wrote a book last year called Tools and Weapons. And then he said, you know, if you if you create technology that changes the world, then you have a responsibility for the world you create. Basically saying, hey, these big companies have enormous influence in the tools, especially the tech companies, in the tools that we built. And therefore, we have a responsibility. Uh, we have to really think about what are our values as a company? What are the things that drive us? And again, they have to be something more than just shareholder value. And so that, that really makes me optimistic that um, you know, we are moving in the right direction especially as it relates to climate and the commitments that, you know, so many companies are making in this space. And so it gives me hope that, you know, we are going to have the right sort of pressure that we need from, uh, from large companies, especially, and individuals and consumers as well to, to drive the sort of change that we need to see and, and do it quickly. Well, thanks, Brian, for your time and the friendship over all these years. 2021 seems like a big year with these federal policy discussions, you know, COP26, thank you all for your, your commitment that really, I think, uh, leads the way in many, in many efforts. And thanks for taking some time uh, to be with us and talk about these topics. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Bryce. Great to see you. Good to see you. Be well. Take care. 